0: We'll be turning to John chapter 5 here today, breaking some new ground here in John 5, and I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of it's time for a change, time for a change. I heard a story about a uh, fella who took his wife with him to the doctor for a checkup, and after the exam, the doctor had a concerned look on his face and he turned to the wife and he said may I speak with you privately for just a minute so the man stepped out he went into the waiting room and the doctor turns to the wife and he says ma'am I'm afraid I have some good news and I have some bad news to report she said well give me the bad news first doctor said well your husband doesn't have long to live I would say maybe about six months she says wow well doctor what's what's the good news And he began to explain. He said, well, you can help your husband get better. But it's going to take drastic changes in both of your lives. You must do this one thing. You must reduce as much stress in his life as possible. She said, well, what does that mean, doctor? And then he said, well, first off, that means no work for him. He's got to come home. You've got to take care of him, wait on him hand and foot. Reduce all stress that you can in his life. Secondly, he needs a new diet. You've got to change the way that you're cooking. No more fried foods, no more sweets. And then he said he also needs exercise, at least 30 minutes a day. And you know what? It would be best if you could join him. And then he said the last thing you can do to help your husband recover is you need to kiss him passionately at least one time a day. You see, the studies show that couples who are in love live healthier and happier lives. So the doctor finished his spiel and he said, Well, miss, would you like for me to tell him this news or would you like to tell him? And she said, I think it would be better coming from me. So she came into the waiting room. There was the man. He sat up in his chair when he saw her. He said, well, What did he say? What did he say? And the wife shook her head and she said, Poor man, it sounds like you've only got six months to live. <laughs> But the sad reality is that for a lot of people, listen, they would rather die than change. Most people are more comfortable with old problems than new solutions. And it's also true that if nothing changes, then nothing really changes. Change is something we usually avoid. It's scary for some because change means a step into the unknown. Change is inconvenient. It rearranges your life and turns things upside down. Change can be costly. It can be expensive to make changes. Change is also painful at times because we have to look inward and admit things about ourselves that we would rather not say is true. So we avoid change. In one of his books, Dr. John Maxwell was writing about a church that needed to change. Oh, and if you want to talk about places where change is slow, usually it's the church. He said that this congregation desperately needed a new building, but they were afraid to change. And then during the service, some plaster fell from the ceiling and hit the chairman of the deacons on the head, and that precipitated a meeting immediately after the service. They called the people together, and the following decisions were made. Number one, we will build a new church. Number two, we will build a new church on the same site as the old one. Number three, we'll use the materials of the old church to build the new one. And then number four, we will worship in the old church until the new church is built. <laughs> Sounds like they weren't going to get much done there. Now in John 5, we meet a man who was stuck and in desperate need of change. In fact, he'd been paralyzed and he'd been trapped in that same situation For 38 years, stuck in the same old rut. His situation was helpless. It was hopeless until one day when Jesus came, wandered into his world, and offered to change everything with a word and a wave of his hand. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but if you would describe yourself or your situation this morning as stuck, then this message is for you. In John 5, we read about the third sign miracle in John's gospel. And I think it has many lessons to offer us today about the nature of life change. Now, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. God does not change us in order to love us. God loves us in order to change us. And Jesus changed everyone and everything around Him, and yet He remained unchanged. I think it's impossible to be around Jesus and stay the same. And yet, here we have a man who's confronted with the choice of change in his life. And I don't know what you're dealing with today, but is it time for a change? Well, let's look at four vital lessons from this text, John 5, that Jesus brings when he comes to change things. Number one, I want you to see, when Jesus brings change... He confronts the circumstances. Look at verses 1 through 7. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five-roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew what had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. A few weeks ago, I watched a documentary about a, a man named Ronnie Coleman. And as I watched this documentary, I thought about this man here in John 5. Ronnie Coleman was a force of nature in the world of competitive bodybuilding. In fact, he won the Mr. Olympia title in Unheard Of eight times, right? Eat your heart out, Arnold Schwarzenegger. But this man, Ronnie Coleman, he was dubbed the king of bodybuilding. But after he retired, listen to what happened. The devastating toll of all of those years of heavy lifting, took a price on his body. And today, this once mighty man, Ronnie Coleman, is basically paralyzed, and he's a shell of his former muscle-bound glory. Now, during his days of weightlifting, he would often profess Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior from the stage. But I got to thinking about this man in John 5 as I was watching that documentary, because I thought, man, what happened in this man's life? Just as Coleman had a whole life of fame and athleticism before his injury what really happened to transpire in this man's life to leave him laying there at the side of this pool for 38 years well the bible doesn't say how or why he ended up languishing by the pool of bethesda for 38 years but here was a man who was paralyzed and a prisoner to his body now let me give you a little background on this text that name bethesda it means house of mercy It was like a mineral spa where the sick would gather and they had the hope of mythic healing properties that the waters would cure them. There was a superstition in Jesus' day that once in a blue moon, an angel would fly by the pool, dip his finger in and stir the water. And the belief was that the first one in the pool after that angelic visit would get a miracle. Now... This pool of Bethesda has actually been discovered. They found it in Jerusalem in the 1800s. And what they discovered is that the pool was actually fed by an underground spring. And periodically those springs would surge and cause the surface of the pool to bubble. And that explained the source of the superstition. And the water also had a reddish tint that was accounted for by the mineral deposits within it. And so this whole mythology grew up around this pool that it had mysterious healing properties. And that's where Jesus shows up. I love what one commentator wrote about this scene. Listen to what Kent Hughes wrote. He said, Imagine a pitiful pile of broken humanity hanging on to a superstitious hope. The stench of those withered and wasted bodies wafted high in the air, The only pleasing side of that filthy, distressing scene was Jesus weaving through the bodies. Now of all the broken and sick bodies piled up there along this pool, notice that Jesus zeroes in on one man. The Bible doesn't even give his name. But I think that Jesus goes after the most pathetic case to show his display of power and the greatness of his healing power, he goes after the man who'd been there longer than anybody else, the hopeless cripple. And notice in verse 6, my attention is riveted by this odd question that Jesus asked this paralyzed man. Did you see it when we read it? He said, Do you want to be healed? Now friend, I've been a pastor for over 10 years now. I've visited the bedside of a lot of sick and a lot of dying. And I can tell you, I've never one time looked down at somebody on their bed and asked them, do you want to be made well? What an odd question to ask. Jesus had a strange bedside manner, didn't he? We would say, of course, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. Why do you think I'm here? And yet, in Jesus' question, there is a deep insight Into the human condition, namely, listen to me. I know this may sound strange to you upon a first hear, but not everybody wants to be well. Did you hear that? Not everybody wants to be made well. You see, if this man was instantly healed, that would have tremendous ramifications in his life. Changes would have to happen. He'd have to get up and all of a sudden get a job. He'd have to worry about making a living. He would have to pay taxes. He would have to go to temple and do all the things that were required of a good citizen in that day. He would have had to learn how to live a new life. And so Jesus asked him, just as he would ask us today if we are stuck in a situation, he would turn to you and me and he would say it like this, Do you really want to change? It might apply differently according to the situation or the circumstances of the person. But he might turn to some and say, do you want to be free of that addiction? I can heal you. I can break the chains in your life. He might say to some, are you ready to forgive and let go and move on into a new future? He might look to others and say, are you ready to get out of debt? Are you ready to put me first and make money a servant and not a master? Are you ready? He would say to some couples, are you ready to put me first in your marriage? Are you ready to make me number one? You see, we have to ask ourselves this question as we think about Jesus' inquiry into this man. Are you comfortable living the same way, with the same mindset, living with the same sins, and getting the same outcome? Are you ready to change you see listen to me friend the reality is not everybody that's sick wants to be healed not everyone who is lost wants to be saved not everyone who is saved wants to be transformed and changed not every church wants to grow and some have just accepted that their lot in life will be to sit and soak and sour on a pew but friend that's not me and I'm telling you that in the Christian life, growth equals change. And if you've decided, I'm through growing, then guess what? You're through with change, and you're stuck in life. We can all get there. And when if you're saved and born again, and you're in that position, you know what you need today? You need revival. If you're lost today, and you don't know Christ, and you're stuck, you need salvation. You say, Brother Derek, that sounds kind of harsh. People don't want to get better? People want to stay sick? Listen, for several years, Brother Stan and I and some others in this church, we participated in a lot of homeless ministry, least of these. We would go downtown Asheville several times a month, and we would feed the homeless free breakfast. We'd give them clothes. We'd pray with them, and we'd minister to them. And as you begin to talk to the homeless people, you'd ask them, you get in conversations with them. How did you end up this way? Why are you living on the street? What, what events in your life transpired to end you in this situation where you're on drugs and where you're, you don't have a roof over your head and you're day to day? And I would bet about 70-30 was the ratio. About 70% of them would tell you, this is what I want. This is the life that I chose. I want to be homeless. I want to be free. I want to be able to quote unquote do whatever I want to do and yet they're addicted to something and that means they're not really free. But I've seen this in my own ministry friend and what I want you to see here this morning is that the first aspect of real change in life is that Jesus has to be allowed to diagnose to confront our circumstances, and we have to ask ourselves, do I really want to be made well? If you don't want to change, listen, then Jesus can't get you unstuck. Just think about dealing with addicts. I've dealt with addicts before. And you know, you can love them, you can provide for them, you can be there for them, but you can't make them want to get better. They have to want it, For themselves. And it's the same way in our spiritual lives. Friend, if you're stuck today, if you're in a rut today, if you don't know how to get up and how to get out of that problem, out of that pit, I'm asking you, and Jesus is asking you, are you really ready to change? You see, we have to be sick and tired of living in defeat. Living in complacency. Getting the same old thing day in and day out. We have to be sick of wallowing at the pool of Bethesda every single day. So the first thing that Jesus does, number one, is when He brings change, He confronts the circumstances. The second thing that we see in our text this morning is that when Jesus brings change, He challenges our confidence. In other words, He asks us to look at our lives and make a discernment about what we are truly trusting in. Look at what he says in verse 8 and 9. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. That's pretty bold to say that to a man who's been sitting there for almost 40 years. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Notice Jesus challenged this man to change the focus of his faith. You see, friend, for 38 years, this paralytic has been living by faith in an old wives' tale about an angel coming by and stirring the pool. And now Jesus is asking him, why don't you change the focus of your faith, exercise some faith in my word instead, why don't you try something new, try something different, try something radical. You see, there's an old saying, and I know that you've heard it before, if you keep doing what you've always done you'll keep getting what you've always got. And we know the definition of insanity, even though maybe some of our politicians and leaders don't, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So after 38 years of waiting to be touched by an angel and not getting a miracle, what does this guy have to lose as Jesus comes by? There are some of you And I say this out of all love in my heart today. There are some of you who are stuck in life because you haven't yet trusted and obeyed the Word of Christ. And you can't move forward in your life until you believe the Word of God and you act on the Word of God and you say, I don't know what else to do and you haven't taken the first step of obedience yet. You see, some of us are good at making excuses too. You can say, well... Well, 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 preacher, I can change any time I want to. Well, then why haven't you? <laughs> some people lay the excuse down, well, well, preacher, I can't change. And that may be true in some, of some instances. You can't change. You are hopeless. You are helpless. You are broken. You're trapped in a sinful situation. And you need a chain breaker to come in and, and literally give you a, a deliverance and a miracle. Some of you have procrastinated on this thing. You say, well, you know, one of these days I am going to get involved in church. One of these days I am going to pick up the Bible and start reading it for myself. One of these days I I am going to learn how to pray. You see, Jesus challenges our confidence. What are we really trusting in? ourselves to get it done (laughs) a superstition or a religion somebody else's faith what are we trusting in he comes along he gives the command and the first time that we hear it it sounds impossible to us i mean think about this guy what he's hearing for the first time take up your bed and walk the first time you hear the gospel the first time that god speaks to your heart about a faith issue where you need to trust him more when you hear it it'll sound foolish It'll sound impossible. It'll sound unreasonable to your ears. Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I can't speak. I've got a stuttering issue. Moses said to the burning bush. He eventually came away to God's way of thinking. But we do the very same thing. And this is the nature of faith. Learning to take God at His word even when it doesn't make any earthly sense to you and I. You see, faith is acting like it is so even when it's not so in order that it might be so because God said so. Here's what I've learned about walking with Christ. God's commandments come with God's enablements. In other words, He's not going to ask you to do something that Him working in and through and beside you can't be done. All this man had to do, he said, take up your bed and walk, man. All he had to do was just obey Jesus. And Jesus would do everything that he could not do. Jesus rewired the synapses in this man's body so that his brain could now communicate with his legs uh, Jesus spoke the word and, and, and those nerve endings and those atrophied muscles began to strengthen again. And it's interesting that I believe that as he got up, he found a, a supply of God's working power and, and, and God's grace and, and, and God's ability. And friend, if you just believe the word that God has given you and act upon it, you'll find God will meet your need in a supernatural way. You see, some of us are afraid. To take that first step. But notice what he says to him. Stand up. Pick up your mat. And walk. That may mean something particular in your life. Stand up. What does that mean? That means taking action. Repent of some sin. Maybe you need to set an alarm clock and get up earlier so you can spend time with the Lord. Maybe you need to make a phone call with that estranged person. And, and try and build back that relation that was lost. Maybe you need to reach out to that lost person. Stand up. That means that you decide today, hey, something's going to be different. Then he said, pick up your mat. You know what that means? That means make a clean break from your past. That was a relic of the man's past for 38 years. That was his bed. What what you might need to do is go home and clean out the cabinets. Clean out the refrigerator. Maybe you need to go home and expunge all that's in your hard drive that you've been looking at on your computer. Maybe you need to stop hanging out with the same friends that keep dragging you down into the same pattern of sin. Uh, lady, maybe you need to drop that boyfriend who's not leading you according to the precepts of Christ. Maybe some of us that taking up our map means we need to go home and cut up the credit card. Ooh, it got real quiet there. Then he said walk. That means go forward in faith. That means begin to trust God in a new way. Start a new pattern. Stop believing the lies of Satan. Get on board with God's plan for your life and give it effort. Now, no, 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 don't, don't take me wrong here. I'm not saying that getting unstuck is going to be easy. It may be the hardest thing you've ever Tried to do in your life But what I am saying to you today Is that with Jesus now For the first time in your life It is possible You don't have to lay at Bethesda's pool You don't have to sit and soak And and sour and ruminate You don't have to get the same old result All the time You can be revived You can move on with God. You can forgive. You can see the chains of addiction broken in your life. You can see your family situation turned around. You can see that prodigal come home. You can see God open up the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing the likes of which you never thought was possible. God can revive that old, dead, broken down church and breathe new life into it. I'm telling you today, it's not easy, but with Jesus, it's possible. It's possible. And as you obey, you'll find His strength, His Word, His Spirit, His grace to do what you need to do. I'm in that stage of life right now where I'm teaching my kids how to ride their bikes. And if you've ever been there before, you know how fun that is. But with Daniel, he was the first one, he was the guinea pig. We had to help Daniel overcome a serious mental block and learn how to ride his bike. You see, because he became become accustomed to his training wheels. And we had a really hard time convincing him, hey, you know, you'll be able to go faster. You'll have more fun. You'll be freer. You can go up and down the driveway. You won't just be confined to this little circle. If we get rid of those training wheels, man, you can really fly. But you know what, it can be hard to let go of things, can't it? It was hard for him to imagine riding his bike any other way than with the confines of those training wheels on. And the reason why is because he had become accustomed to just one old way of riding the bike. This is what I do. I get on. I, if, I, if I lose my balance, I've got the wheels there to back me up. And we do that in life too, don't we? We get accustomed to some crutches. We get accustomed to our bed at the poolside. We get accustomed to just living on the training wheels of faith, not really moving beyond or where God wants us to go, or we can get accustomed to an addiction or to a bad marriage or a terrible relationship or whatever the case might be. So we tried to break this pattern in Daniel's thinking, and here's how we did it. So he get on that bike. And we took the training wheels off. And I did what all dads do. All right, sink or swim, go. No, 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 no. Put him on that bike, took the training wheels off. And I held on to the back of that bike, just like this. One mile an hour. Then one day it became two miles an hour. And he'd say, Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, I can't do it. And you know what I'd say? I'd say, Daniel, I'm right behind you. I said, Daniel, i got a hold of this seat. I said, you can't see me, but you just listen to my voice. And pretty soon, he got proficient to the point to where I was just able to let go. And now today, he's riding circles around me, and he's terrorizing Cliff up there in his house. Because Cliff's house is the big neighborhood hangout. That's where the ball goal is, and that's where the pad is, the right bikes and scooters. But you know what? Here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you. You can look at your, mat. you can look at your situation and say, There's no way out of this. I can't do it. I've tried. I've failed. I've looked at answers and this and that. that, But have you tried the Lord yet? You see, He's behind you even when you can't see Him. Even when you don't sense His presence, He's given you His Word. And He says, I'm here. I'm here. You just listen to my voice. And if you will let go of those things that have been holding you back, you'll find out it's time to walk. And then pretty soon, it's time to run. And then after that, it's time to give Him praise in the house of God for what He's done in my life by setting me free. You see, when Jesus brings change, He challenges our confidence. He moves the, the confidence that we've been putting in ourselves or in broken systems or in superstitions or mental hang-ups, and He puts it on Him. His Word. Then I want you to see this number three. When Jesus brings change, He creates new conflict. Oh, you didn't think it was just going to be a bed of roses, did you? Never is, is it? What happened in verse 9? The Bible says, Now the day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Walk. And they asked him, who is the man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for it was Jesus. He had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Drop down to verse 15. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Picture this man. He's walking along his happy way. He's got his mat on his shoulder. He's been set free. Hallelujah. It's a new day. And yet, who's the first people that he comes across? The chairman of the Cold Water Committee. The legalistic Pharisees. Rather than celebrating with this guy over a supernatural work of God, they are there to accost him. They are trying to cripple him again with religious tradition. You see, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament forbade work on the Sabbath. And according to the Pharisees, Hey man, what are you doing? You're you're, you're doing work on the Lord's Day by carrying your mat. See, they had it all twisted. And that mat that he carries now becomes an object to testify of the healing work of God in his life. There's no doubt about it. Jesus was stirring the pot on this one. Jesus intentionally did this miracle on the Sabbath because He knew it would get the Pharisees all tore up. And in fact, this is Jesus' first public miracle in the Gospel of John. And the Bible says at the end of the text that from this point on, the Jews were now out to get Jesus. Because He had upset the apple cart. (gasps) He had done work on the Sabbath. Scandal of scandals. But here's the application I want you to see. When you decide in your life to make a change in the direction of God, when you decide to put Jesus number one, listen to me, expect opposition and pushback from the cold water crowd. When you decide it's time to change, it's time to do things differently in my marriage, at my work, in my church, expect folk not to understand what God is doing in your life. In fact, listen to me, Satan is now going to begin to work overtime and harder on you than before when you decided to make that positive change in God's direction because He wants you weak. He wants you complacent. He wants you discouraged. He wants you defeated. And as long as you're content to live by the pool of Bethesda, He ain't going to bother you. The Pharisees didn't care a thing in the world about that guy until Jesus worked in his life and things started to change. And then they said, wait a second, something's not right about this. Friend, listen to me. You can count on it. When you decide to change for Jesus, people will criticize and Satan will mobilize. The sinners won't understand the change that's taking place in your life and the church crowd won't believe that the change is real. Sometimes that's us. We're the Pharisees and we see somebody coming in God's house and we know that they have a past and we say, what are you doing here? You see, sinners will criticize and Satan will mobilize. Don't let the conflict discourage you, friend. Because no matter what they said about his life, there's one thing that they couldn't take away and they couldn't change, and that is the encounter that he had with Jesus. And let us never be those who would come by to somebody that God has made a difference in their life and try and dissuade them from living in the change that God has given them. In fact, if you're moving forward by faith and God has changed things and Satan starts to kick up dust in your life, rejoice because it means you're on the right path. Amen. You just keep going forward with Christ. I heard Skip Hydzik tell a story in one of his books about a racist man. Not, not racism in the, the terms that our culture uses. If you disagree with somebody today, you're either a racist or a Nazi. I'm talking about a real Nazi that... This guy was in the KKK. You know, God can save people like that. Well, this fella, he was in the KKK. He met Jesus, he got saved, and he renounced the Klan. You know what happened? Did the Klansmen stand up and rejoice and have a praise God hallelujah? No. He received death threats from his former Klan members. And then when he joined a church, he got the evil eye from church members who knew about his past. Well, here's what happened to this man. The church he joined was planning a mission trip to Africa. And this former clansman signed up to go. Oh my, what are we going to do? They probably thought the planning committee. When the church arrived in Africa and they got the medical tent set up, they were doing medical missions. This clansman pulled something out of his suitcase. You know what it was? It was his old clan robes. In Africa, Church people said, Whoa, 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 what are you doing? You, you can't bring that out here. Man said, God's changed me. And God spoke to me. As I was packing my suitcase, God told me what to do with these. He said, I've been trying to figure out a way that I can use these for God's glory. And God told me, and I finally figured it out. When he pulled out those old robes, he pulled out a big old honk and pair of scissors and he started to cut them up. And he said, We're here to do medical missions, aren't we? And they said, Yes. He said, the Lord told me the best way to use these old robes is now for bandages. That which was once a symbol of hate will now be a symbol of the change that God has brought about in my life. And those people that I used to hate, I'm going to now go and bind up their wounds. I'm telling you, when God changes things, He changes them for good. And when Jesus changes us, listen, there's going to be conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You make that change, there's some folk going to question you and say, I don't know if this is really real. But they cannot deny the results. And in this case, this old boy, he had a testimony. He was carrying his mat. And what I want to say to some of you today is carry your mat well. You see, that mat was a relic of his old life. That's who he used to be. That was his crutch. That's all that he knew for so long, the way that he had become accustomed to live. And some of you have got a past, you've got a mat. You know why God gave that to you? To carry it around, not proudly, but to carry it and say, look, this is who I used to be. This is the way I used to think. Here's the crowd I used to go with. I used to be the deadbeat dad. My crutch was the drug addiction. I used to be the person stuck in the pit of addiction and depression. I used to be the pornographer. I used to be the racist. I was angry at everybody. I used to be. But you know why God gave him that mat to carry it around so that it would give way to the message and give way to the opportunity to tell people about what Jesus had done in his life don't be ashamed friend of what God has saved you from because that is going to be the platform that God's going to use to give you the ability to preach into somebody's life about the miracle working power of my Jesus fourthly and I'm done when Jesus brings change He corrects old conduct. He confronts our circumstances. He creates new conflict. Then look at this. He corrects old conduct. I've purposely skipped over verse 14. Some of you OCD people noticed that, but I'm going to go back to it right now. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Watch this. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. Wow. Don't miss this. Jesus' final challenge of this man happened when he ran into him at the temple later on that day. Apparently, listen to what the Bible is telling us, is that the 38 years of suffering in this man's life was connected to some sin issue from his past. That's why Jesus says, "Sin, leave this place and don't, don't sin. Don't get into that same pattern that ended you up in the predicament you were in, that I saved you out of. Now listen to me, friend. Not all suffering is caused by our personal sin. We know that. Sometimes we suffer in life just because, number one, adversity, and number two, persecution. But Jesus warned him. He said, Sir, the disease robbed you of the best years of your life, but if you have unrepentant sin, it will rob you of eternity. In other words, this guy had been given a second chance at life. And he says don't ruin it by going back into the same sins that caused you to be a cripple in the first place. You know one way I know that change is genuine in people's lives is when they make a complete break from the old sin of the past. It's possible. It can happen. Are you going to fail along the way? Yeah, probably because you're still in the flesh body. But you know what? God doesn't cast us aside. And God doesn't Send us away. But, but what a stern warning for us. If we've really been changed by Christ, listen, we won't be sinless, but we will sin less. We'll never arrive at moral perfection, but you will have the desire within you to live a morally pure and a holy life. Like Ephesians 4 1 says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And if you've been living there for 38 years and Jesus come by and healed you and you took up your mat, why in the world would you want to go back to that again? So whatever God is delivering you from today, don't go back to it. There's a modern example of Bethesda's beggar. It's a true story. Some people wonder, does God still really do miracles today? Hey friend. Just look around you. There's a whole church full of miracles right here of people who were broken and beat up and cast aside by life. And Satan had kicked them while they were down and they were helpless and crippled. And then Jesus came along. But listen to this true story. The lady's name is Barbara Snyder. By 1981, she hadn't walked in seven years. She had been a talented athletic gymnast in her younger days, but multiple sclerosis had left her a bedridden invalid. Eventually she became incontinent and blind. What a combination. She was given a tracheotomy and six months to live, and her surgeon, a man named Dr. Harold Adolph, called her, listen to this, quote-unquote, one of the most helplessly ill patients I ever saw. Her condition worsened. And so a friend called the Christian radio station in Chicago, Illinois to request listeners to begin to pray for Barbara Snyder. 450 listeners personally wrote her to tell her, we're praying for you. Barbara's aunt got those letters and brought them to her bedside on a Sunday, July 7th, 1981. And as Barbara was listening, her aunt was reading off those letters. And God did something in her heart. God spoke faith into her heart. Here's what happened. What happened next is described as nothing less than a miracle. Barbara told her family, Shh, sh- 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 stop reading. She said, The voice of God just told me to get out of my bed and walk. So her family gathered around. And Barbara's doctor, Dr. Thomas Maxwell, Said, "Here's what happened next. Her doctor was there. Barbara jumped out of bed and removed her oxygen. She started standing up on legs that hadn't supported weight in seven years. Her vision was instantly cleared up to 20/20. Her crumpled up arthritic hands and feet were working perfectly. This was the doctor's report. That night, Barbara only wanted to go to one place: the church." She attended a worship service at Wheaton Wesleyan Church and the the meeting began. The pastor began taking up prayer requests. At that time, the front door opened and Barbara shouted from the back of the church, I have a praise, pastor! I have a praise! And she ran down the aisle and she said when the people saw that she was running around the church, they broke out in spontaneous, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Listen to this. That was 40 years ago. She got a whole new second life. And still to this day, according to Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Miracles, medical science has no explanation for how she was healed. That's a miracle. And friend, my Jesus is still in the miracle working business today. And I don't know what you're stuck in. I don't know how long you've been stuck in it. I don't know how much hope you have given up. But I'm telling you, He's coming to your side. He's speaking to you at your pew today. And He's asking you, do you want to be healed? And By His blood and by His sacrifice on the cross, you can have forgiveness. And He may even do more than that in your life. But you have to get up. And do what He says. This altar is now going to be open. Preston's coming. Our musicians are coming. Some of you need to come forward today. I don't know what it is. But the Holy Spirit has spoke to you just like He did Barbara. And I pray that you will be obedient to what He says for you to do. This is the time. This is the hour. You may not have another chance. If you need that change. If you desire that change. If you want that transformation that only Christ can do. I implore you come and find out that he's still full of grace today.